In this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Usually before the sermon, I give you some biographical information and anecdotes from the speaker. For this episode, we're going to explore the Hebrides Revival or the Lewis Revival of Scotland in the mid-20th century and the role our speaker played in it. Now, if you're Scottish, you're familiar with Scottish place names and pronunciations. I'll try not to butcher them, but I can't make any promises. I'm Elise, and you're listening to Revive Radio. Now, if you're thinking about the New Hebrides or Vanuatu in the South Pacific, that's not what we're talking about today. But if you do want to hear about the New Hebrides and John G. Patton, I'll link Revive Thoughts episode on the topic in the description of this episode. The New Hebrides were named after the Hebrides Archipelago off the northwest coast of Scotland. There are hundreds of islands that make up this archipelago, but for our purposes, we're going to focus on one of them. The people on the island had outward signs of godliness. Every home had prayer and Bible study in the morning, whether they were believers or not. Kids learn Bible stories in schools, they learn the Psalms and how to sing them, and also memorize the shorter Westminster Catechism. They were dry bones without life. This lifelessness grieved two elderly shut-ins on the island. Their names were Peggy and Christine Smith. They were 84 and 82 years old. Peggy was completely blind, and Christine was severely arthritic. They began to pray for the promise of Isaiah 44.3, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry land. Peggy sent for her minister and asked him and the deacons to pray every Tuesday and Friday from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. While they prayed, the sisters also prayed in their cottage. This went on for weeks, and nothing happened. One night as they were praying, one of the deacons opened Psalm chapter 24, verses 3 through 5, which reads, Who may ascend onto the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? One who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to deceit, and has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Turning to the others, he said, Brethren, it seems to me just so much humbug to be waiting and praying as we are, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. Then lifting up his hands towards heaven, he cried, O God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? I want to share some of Duncan Campbell's own words about what happened. He felt compelled to write his own accounts about everything that occurred because others were going around spreading embellishments and other things that just never happened. He says, There are two things that I would like to say in speaking about the revival in the Hebrides. First, I would like to make it perfectly clear that I did not bring revival to the Hebrides. It has grieved me beyond words to hear people talk about and write about the man who brought revival to the Hebrides. My dear people, I didn't do that. Revival was here before I ever set foot on the island. It began in a gracious awareness of God sweeping through the parish of Barbas. Then I would like to make it perfectly clear what I understand of revival. When I speak of revival, I'm not thinking of a high-pressure evangelism. I'm not thinking of crusades or of special efforts convened and organized by man. This is not in my mind at all. Revival is something altogether different from evangelism on its highest level. Revival is a moving of God in the community, and suddenly the community becomes God-conscious, before a word is said by any man representing any special effort. Campbell was already a traveling preacher and stayed very busy ministering on the island of Skye at the time. The church contacted him and asked if he'd be able to preach the revival. He declined due to prior engagements on Skye. Things fell through in Skye, and he found himself traveling to Lewis within 10 days, and he stayed for two years. The Lewis revival lasted from 1949 to 1952 and spread to other parts of the Hebrides. 
Now, some things that came about from this revival, they're very interesting, and some of them come from these other accounts, so you have to be very careful and diligent to get an accurate picture of what happened. But some of the things that came out of this revival, people didn't want to leave these meetings after they were over. So after the meetings ended, they would go and hang out until there's homes until the wee hours of the morning, sometimes two and three, even as late as like five o'clock in the morning. And there was a prayer meeting every day at noon. And at that time, all work stopped for two hours. Campbell said, it was then that you got to know who had found the Savior on the previous night. You didn't need to make an appeal. They made their way to the prayer meeting to praise God for his salvation. During sermons, Campbell would often have to stop preaching because of the distress manifested by those who were being convicted. One man under deep conviction of sin testified, So awful was the sense of God's presence that even the grass beneath my feet and the rocks around me seemed to cry out, Flee to Christ for refuge. Naturally, there was some opposition to the things that were happening on the island, and two of the most serious accusations were the color of his shoes. Ministers always wore black shoes, and there Duncan Campbell was wearing his brown shoes. Also, it was revealed that he lived on a very low salary, which they just couldn't abide by. It was unconscionable. When asked what the fruit from such a movement was, Campbell said, In a certain village, 122 young people found the faith, all over the age of 17. Today I can say they are growing like flowers in the garden of God. There is not a single backslider among them. I can say without fear of contradiction that I can count on ten of my fingers, all of whom dropped from the prayer meetings. Of course, they are all scattered all over the world. They are in mission fields and different places today. But according to the ministers, they are standing true to the God of the covenant and true to the Lord Jesus Christ. First book of Kings, chapter 18, and to verse 38. We might read verses 37 and 38. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. Now let me say just in passing, only God can do that. Only God can turn the hearts of sinful men. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I want to direct your attention especially to the words, Then the fire of the Lord fell. The fire fell, but it was the fire of the Lord. This wasn't false fire. There are some portions of scripture so charged with gracious meaning that we find ourselves turning to them again and yet again. And I believe that this is one such portion. I must have spoken from this passage many times but he came very forcibly to my mind and heart last night on returning from the meeting. Then the fire of the Lord fell. It's wonderful to be in a place or in a community when you are made conscious of the fact that God has swept in that the fire of the Lord has fallen and you can have no doubt whatsoever about it. The fire of the Lord falling. 
Those of you who are familiar with this part of Old Testament story will remember that two facts stand out with great clearness. First of all, this fact. It was a time of apostasy and peril in the nation. Forces antagonistic to God were at work both in the court and among the people. The situation was really desperate. For three years the divine judgment lay heavy upon the land. In the words of scripture, there was a sore famine in Samaria. What a picture. What a picture. But I would say that it pales before the picture that confronts us today in this world of ours. Perhaps in the community that you come from and in the part of the world that we come from. A situation appalling, a situation that is desperate. I wonder if this is a far-fetched comparison to suggest that this really is a faint picture, a faint representation of the places that you purpose visiting in a very short time. A sore famine in the land. A sore famine. Are we not in the days spoken of by Paul in his letter to Timothy? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They shall turn away from the truth. Now I quoted something a few days ago, part of a statement made by Dr. Ramsey, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now here is the full statement that he made. This gives you an idea of the appalling situation that confronts us today in Great Britain. The appalling situation. Here are words spoken by the supreme human leader in the Christian church in England. Heaven is not a place for Christians only. Those who have led a good life on earth, but found themselves unable to believe in God, will not be debarred from heaven. I personally expect to meet present-day atheists in heaven. I hope to have fellowship with Judas. And then he goes on to say this, among many other things that he said. It is possible to believe in Jesus without believing in his virgin birth or in his miraculous resurrection. These are words spoken by the leading representative of the Church of Christ in Britain today. Well, might the prophet say to the law and to the testimonies, 
if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And that is what we are going to face in the appalling situation that is too common in the world today. But you will notice that there is another fact here. That is the challenge to these powers of darkness. God had his man and God has his man today. I believe that. I believe that God has raised up this very mission to defy and challenge the powers of darkness. Well, there you have the prophet. And he throws down the gauntlet in his attack upon the prophets of Baal. And the evil in the court is laid bare. And in the name of his God challenges them to a test which would prove whether Jehovah or Baal was supreme. And that is the challenge that you must present in this our day and generation. And cry, the God that answereth by fire, that's my God. The God that answereth by fire, oh, Jehovah's God is alive. Jehovah's God is on the throne. Uh, the prophet's God, Elijah's God, is on the throne. And in his name we go forth to challenge the powers of darkness, strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And the God that answereth by fire. Oh, we must be clear about this, that we are in touch with the God that answers and the God who can turn the hearts of men from evil to that which is good, from unrighteousness to righteousness. There must be a demonstration of that. Oh, let me see again, unless this is made visible, the average man will not be impressed by your efforts. Not a bit of it. He will stagger back from it all, disillusioned and despairing. But let there be a demonstration of fire, penetrating, burning, illuminating, making God real and visible. That is the cry for our day and generation. Now there are several thoughts in this wonderful record, and to these I wish to direct your attention. First of all, I find here a vital necessity, and that is for a manifestation of a God that answers by fire. That is a vital necessity. And then I have here further a significant fact. A revival came when the broken altar was rebuilt. And that to me is a significant fact. And then you have a divine visitation. The fire fell, the people fell, and bless God the rain fell. 
revival came at last. So first of all, you have here a vital necessity. Surely all will agree that the supreme need of the hour is for revival. Now this may be a truism, maybe a commonplace statement, but it has to be repeated again and yet again that nothing short of revival, nothing short of a demonstration by God, oh, I stress this, I emphasize it again and yet again, nothing short of a manifestation of that which must ever be regarded as supernatural will meet the dire situation in our land, yours and mine today. For years, your land and mine have been in the grip of a spirit that holds perilous possibilities for the religious life of our land. A spirit that is out Oh, let me say it again, a spirit that is out to defy every known Christian principle. That is the situation. We used to speak, when I was young, we used to speak of restraining grace and constraining grace. Now, I believe that this is something that is sadly lacking today. I refer to restraining grace. If the grace of God was operative and restraining in the country, it would be utterly impossible for the Archbishop of Canterbury to make that devilish statement that he made. But somehow restraining grace is not in operation. The fear of God, the fear of God which is the beginning of wisdom is not a characteristic feature of the average Christian community today. We are living in desperate days, but unfortunately a pleasure-crazed and morally bankrupt generation refuses to face the facts of grim reality. And I fear that that spirit somehow has entered the Christian church. We want to be aware of this. Oh, we want to be aware of it. That's the situation. You're not going out to a picnic. You're going out to a battle. You're going out to face an enemy that is out to defy God and defy every known Christian principle. The answer then, the answer is God. Oh, young folk, listen, get to know your God. They that know their God shall, shall be strong. We were praying much this morning for the young folk that left us yesterday and asking that God would cover them, that God would empower them, that God would overshadow them, Young folk, listen, the God of Elijah is alive. Oh, he's alive. Well, if the answer is revival, 
Why is revival not coming? Now this is a searching and a solemn question. If the answer is in revival, and there must be a great number of people today in the lands that you come from, in the communities that you were born and brought up in, in our land and in your land, men and women who are burdened and longing for revival. They recognize that revival is the answer. Why then is revival not coming? Has God ceased to be interested in the souls of men? Is he quite happy to see them drifting to hell to be doomed and damned forever? Oh, that is not the God we believe in. That is not the God we believe in. But I think of that verse of scripture. It seems to me that we have the answer in it. If my people which are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive and heal their land. Now this question confronted a young minister on the island of Skye several years ago. He was newly ordained and this was his first charge. A young man born and brought up in the part of the country that my good lady here comes from, Charlie Henderson by name. And when he found himself in this parish, he discovered that he was up against a frightful situation. Now this was a very godly young man. His father and mother were saved during the first mission that the faith mission had in this part of the country. It was at that time that my mother-in-law was saved also under the ministry of one of our workers by the name of Angus MacLean from the island of Tyree. Well, this young man had a good upbringing. He was brought up in a Christian home and while a student in Glasgow University had a wonderful experience of the power of God. He was saved as a lighthouse keeper and it was after that that he studied for the ministry and God met with him in Glasgow. He is now in this parish. He is now facing this appalling situation. And I can assure you the situation was desperate. He invited me to the parish to conduct some meetings. And I began on a Sunday evening with seven people in church. Just seven people. On Monday we had five and at the end of the week, the average attendance was seven. Now, that was an appalling situation. He hadn't a single person that he could call upon to pray, not a single person that could lead the singing in the church. The situation was desperate. At the end of the week, he decided to spend a day in prayer. And I believe that 
the Lord laid it upon my heart to get in touch with a certain businessman on the island of Louis in uh, the village of Arnold where God swept in revival blessing. And I knew that there were numbers there who prayed and who knew how to pray. And to this man I phoned. And I mentioned the situation that confronted us in this parish. And I wondered if uh, he and the other praying men would join us in a day of prayer. And the day of prayer was to be Monday. So he agreed and said this. Yes, certainly. We'll join with you. And I'll close my factory. I'll close the factory, because nearly all his weavers were saved during the revival. And I said to him, no, John, no, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to get a few of the praying men, men who know how to pray, to wait with us at the throne, and if at all possible, get little Donald McPhail to pray with you. I refer to this lad again and again. He was a man who knew how to get in touch with God. He was in touch with God. So he agreed to that. And at ten o'clock on Monday morning, we got on our knees in the study of the manse. And a few men got on their knees in a cottage in Lewis. And on our knees we waited, pleading one promise that I knew would be brought before the Lord in Louis. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, all day waiting upon God. Oh, young folk, get to know God in prayer. I'm glad that my good lady stressed that in her word to you. The vital need of being much in prayer until we are, as it were, saturated with God himself. Well, we were there for the whole day. We're now sitting at tea just before leaving for the church. When a rap came to the door and the minister's sister responded to the rap and went to the door and then came back and said, to her brother Charlie, something wonderful has happened. Something wonderful has happened. The merchant is here offering you his car to take you to the church. This had never happened before. The merchant never darkened the door of a church he wasn't known to be ever in a place of worship since coming home from Glasgow and setting up business in the parish. And here he was, offering to take us to church. We are now moving from the manse down the avenue, making for the church. And this man spoke to his minister and said, Mr. Henderson, what is happening tonight? Now I'm stating absolute fact. I want you to know the God of Elijah is alive. He said to the minister, what is happening? I've just met a bus 
that has come 15 miles crowded with people and they're making for the church and it will be impossible for us to get a parking place with a number of cars that are there and then the minister spoke I believe that God has answered prayer and I believe that revival has come and this godless merchant turned toward the minister who was sitting beside him and said did you say revival does that mean the fear of God if it does I am gripped by the fear of God does it mean the fear of God it does, I gripped by the fear of God. And listen, young folk, when we got to the church, that parish church was crowded to capacity. Crowded to capacity. And half of the congregation from a neighboring congregation, the free church. I saw the crowd in front of me. I thought to myself, now there must be somebody here that will lead us in the singing. So, uh, I asked if there was anybody there that could lead the singing for us. Of course the singing was in Gaelic. Uh, the preaching was in Gaelic. An old man rose and he said, Yes, I'll do my best. And of course there we have to present the psalm. And if he had one tune, he had at least three tunes before he got to the end of the first verse. But uh, I can assure you the singing was glorious. It would disturb Mr. Campbell with an ear that is always after harmony. But I can assure you the singing was glorious that evening. My, they sang. God is our refuge and our strength. In straits at present And they sang and they sang and they sang. Now, I couldn't tell you how many were saved in that church that night. But what I want to impress upon you is this, that in answer to prayer, the parish and a neighboring parish became moved by God. Miracle happened. The God of miracle is alive. We've got to believe that. I'm sure that there are those here, the young man who took us up from the hotel, was relating to me an experience that his grandfather had in Russia and how they were led from Russia and how the angel of the Lord protected them how God was as it were a flame of fire around them leading them to their destination the God of Elijah is not dead he's alive and the miracles that happened can happen again. Well, we got home to the manse. We got home to the manse. No appeal at all, just left them in the church, left them to find their way to God. It's wise at times to do that. Because when God does a work, he does it thoroughly. However, we got home, it's now two o'clock in the morning, and I heard the telephone ring. I heard the minister go to answer the call. And this was the wife of the publican. The wife of the man who owned the 
Parishotel. And she told the minister on the phone that she was greatly disturbed. She couldn't sleep. She suddenly discovered in that meeting that she was eating and drinking damnation to herself by sitting at the Lord's table and not a Christian. And she begged the minister to come and see her. Then her husband got onto the phone and he pled with the minister. He said in his talk to the minister, I'm somewhat afraid that my wife may go mental in the distress that she was in. That was at two o'clock. The minister is just back and we're in bed. Then the telephone rings again. And this was the mother of the parish nurse asking the minister to come if at all possible that her daughter was in a terrible state of distress of soul. And that morning the local nurse along with a number of others were led to Christ. Now why do I tell you that story? Why do I tell you that remarkable visitation? To stress the point that the God of Elijah is alive. And the God who listened to the prayer of the prophet Elijah is the God who has an ear for the sincere cry of heart. A few years ago we were at a wedding in which this young minister was officiating. And what a joy it was to hear him tell that all the office bearers in that congregation at that time were born again during that remarkable visitation. That move did not spread beyond the parish, but I tell you, it shook the parish. And all his office bearers were converted at that time. So if revival is the only answer, in a sense, we've got the key to it. We've got the key to it in our hands. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray. God has said it. God has said it. Oh, may God deliver us from listening to this word and it fall from us like water from a duck's back. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. If my people, we his people, called by my name will humble themselves. Oh, there's so much in that. Will humble themselves. Let me quote again what was said recently at a conference of ministers. God is not obliged to send revival because we pray. God is not obliged to send revival because we pray, but he is bound by covenant promise. He is bound by covenant promise to send revival when we humble ourselves and pray. 
when we humble ourselves. Brokenness of spirit. Now will you notice how graphically the writer describes the entrance of God upon the scene. Here are the words. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Something had happened. Heaven spoke. The throne uttered its voice. And the fire fell. Now what is the meaning of this sentence? Well, to me it is a point of division between the carnal and the spiritual. Between the prophets of Baal and one man who humbled himself and prayed. The difference between that which is carnal and that which is spiritual. We are living in a day when unfortunately we lower our standards to worldly conformity and even in the field of evangelistic effort we ape the world. <laughs> May I read to you an advert that appeared in an Irish paper last year and uh, I think I'd better just tell you the truth and it's an advert from four American evangelists who are conducting special revival meetings as they call them. And this is the advert. We invite you to six wonderful days of heaven upon earth. See and feel the revival power of God in action. Hear singing and music with a beat in an atmosphere that is different and we guarantee results. My dear friends, when I read that, I found myself saying, May God have mercy on us. May God have mercy on us. Six wonderful days of heaven upon earth, and we guarantee results. There comes to my mind a convention that I attended years ago in Peebles in Scotland. Now at this particular time there was a very remarkable move in a village in Persia, the village of West Benhar. It was uh, a great move, there was a terrific stir in the village and a great number made profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Perhaps I ought to mention that uh, the three evangelists were from Elam, a Pentecostal church. Now don't misunderstand me when I say that. I'll tell you what I have still to say to you. However, on the Saturday of the convention, two busloads from the village of West Benhar came to the People's Convention. And uh, I tell you, they caused a stir. Mr. Govan, the founder of our mission, was giving his address when he found it necessary to stop preaching because of the racket that the young folk were making. It was frightful. 
Praising the Lord, shouting, one man took out a handkerchief and he began to wave it above his head, Lord, send revival, Lord, send revival. You never saw or listened to anything like it. It was a real stir. However, after a wee while, they quietened down, and uh, Mr. Govan resumed his message. That evening, we were in at supper. And sitting at the table with us, there was an old man from Paisley. I'm sure you've heard him, the old, old story. And life, life, eternal life. And the other hymn, Lord, send us revival. He composed ever so many hymns. His name, Willie Leslie. So he's sitting at the table when Mr. Govan turned to him and said, Mr. Leslie, will you lead us in a word of prayer? And that dear old man bowed his head. And he began to pray. And in his prayer he said this, Lord, now he was very broad Scotch, very broad Scotch. He began by saying, Lord, I would like to thank you for the young folk from West Benhar. I'd like to thank you for their enthusiasm. But Lord, it must have grieved your heart, your heart. It must have grieved your heart to have seen so much of the steam but ought to have gone to the piston blowing out through the whistle. <laughs> now, you smile at that. You smile at that. But that old man was near the truth. There is so much steam today in our efforts. Just being blown out through the whistle, and nothing going to the piston. Oh, young folks, see to it that the steam goes to the piston, and not out through the whistle. I came across this sentence in a book by Maxwell of Prairie Bible Institute. Unless the church senses her divine resources, Unseen, untapped, unlimited, she is tempted to resort to any means, fair, fleshly, or foul, to command attention. We need to remember, said Maxwell, that heresy of method can be as deadly as heresy of message. We want to be in touch with the God of Elijah. Then you will notice the significant fact. When did God show his hand? Now the answer to that question, to me, is a revelation of the factors which are manifest in every revival. Thus, there was a recognition of the fact that the altar was broken, that the altar was broken. And you see the prophet moving into operation, and he handles stones, and he places stone upon stone, and the altar is built. Now you know that the altar speaks of sacrifice, speaks of sacrifice, and every 
visitation from God costs in human lives. I believe that with all my heart. Do you remember that incident in the New Testament story when Greeks came to two of the disciples and made a special request, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Now, can you point me to any passage in New Testament story that makes it clear to me that those Greeks saw Jesus? They saw Jesus. I can't find it. But I do read this in the same chapter, that Jesus went and hid himself. He went and hid himself. Now I may be wrong, and I stand to be corrected, but this is my interpretation. You will notice that between the desire expressed by the Greeks, were they Greek philosophers? They could have been. Were they among those that met Paul and Mars Hill? That could have happened. But between the desire expressed and Jesus hiding himself, you have these words, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. What is Jesus saying to his disciples? He is calling on them to face the implications of Calvary. Except a grain of wheat, oh, he's thinking of the hour when he will fall into the ground and die. When he will face Calvary with its shame and die. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. There comes to my mind a poem that I frequently heard the late Dr. Grimscroft he quote at his evening service. Soul of mine, must I surrender, see myself as crucified, turn from all earth's ambitions, that thou mayst be satisfied. That is the place of blessing but that surely is a price of revival. Must I surrender and see myself as crucified? Was it not the late Andrew Murray, who in one of his books said or wrote, it is comparatively easy to win people to a cross, but to a cross that leaves them uncrucified. Oh, beware, beware of the cross that leaves you uncrucified. We sometimes say that in the natural world we live to die, but in the spiritual world we die to live. That's the answer. That's the secret. Well, here you have this man, and he's standing now as God's representative. 
Oh, there's noise, there's noise, there's excitement among the prophets of Baal. Oh, Baal, hear us! My, they're making a racket, aren't they? They're making a racket. But one man with God saved the situation and put the prophets of Baal to shame. Oh, let us not lose sight of one outstanding fact. And that is that one man with God became the savior of the nation. One man with God. Oh, it's wonderful what God can do through a man wholly yielded to him. Well, here you have the prophet. One man prepared the altar and took his stand for God. Now, how was it? This man could pray as he did, hear me, that this people may know that thou art God. How was it that he could pray that prayer? Well, I would suggest that he could pray that prayer because his own altar wasn't broken. He was in touch with God. And he made it clear to the people listening that their altars would have to be built. Again, he repaired the broken altar. In effect, he is saying to them, Your altars are broken. Your altars are broken. You must prepare them. Repair them. And then we read that the fire fell. The fire fell. And then the people fell. And then the rain fell. My, what a day! Campbell focuses his sermon on Elijah's challenge to the prophets of Baal. This has always been one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Baal's prophets wail and yell and cut themselves, making all sorts of ruckus, but to no avail. Elijah Calm simply says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust. Campbell says that in this verse we have the answer to true biblical revival. Second Chronicles 7.14 and if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Campbell quotes Andrew Murray, who wrote, It is comparatively easy to win people to a cross, but to a cross that leaves them uncrucified, and cautions, Beware of the cross which leaves you uncrucified. True revival begins with a humble repentance that seeks the face of God. If you enjoyed this episode, please be so kind as to review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and spread the word. Thanks for listening. I'm Elise, and this is Revive Radio.